My text this morning is found in the 11th chapter of Romans, but if you would first turn with me to Romans chapter 3, we'll bounce around in the book of Romans a little this morning. Romans chapter 3, where we'll start. Verse 3. Here Paul is addressing a real problem in the church. It's a a spiritual problem that's still a problem today. Romans 3 verse 3 is where Paul first addresses this problem. And he asked this question in verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, has the unbelief of the Jews underlined the purpose and promises of God? He immediately addresses this untruth by saying, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. And then he gives us the reason as it is written that thou, speaking of God, mightest be justified, that you might be right, rendered innocent in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now God is always true to His Word and His character. He's God. He's not a man that He should lie, or son of man that He should repent or change His mind. So our sin and our unrighteousness in no way changes God. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, in other words, if we claim that God is God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? If we claim that God is sovereign and has the right and the power to do what He will with His own, if He condemns us for our unbelief, is it right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is God justified and cleared when He punishes the guilty? Well, of course He is. That's what David said. David said, My sin is against against thee and thee only. But that's not all that David said. David went on to say there in Psalm 51 verse 4 that God is justified. God is right. Righteous when He speaks. That word speaks means promises. When God promises and He's clear, He's innocent of any wrongdoing, when He judges us. Our unbelief does not change God. Not in the least. Is God unrighteous when He takes vengeance on us? Verse 6, God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? Is God unrighteous if He shows wrath on us and punishes us for our sin that it's against Him and Him alone? No. Is If our unbelief makes God unaffected, it it doesn't. Let me add that. But if it did, how shall He judge the world? You see, this is a simple message. God is God. He changes not. He can by no means clear the guilty. His holy justice will not allow Him to do so. If we're found guilty, we're going to be punished. I don't want to be found guilty. Folks today think that God loves sinners so much that He won't really send anyone to hell for sin. But that's what man says. That's not what God says. 
Any sinner who thinks that is lying to themselves. That's what Paul said. Let man ever be a ever man be a liar. God be true. And to to claim that is attempting to strip God of being God. They're attempting to make themselves their own God. When it really gets down to it, that's it. Verse seven, for if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? If God makes concessions for our sin, then He's not God. But He doesn't. Because He is God. And He's just and holy and right when He condemns us. And that's why sinners without Christ are judged guilty because God can by no means clear the guilty he must condemn the guilty. And He can at the same time by no means condemn the innocent. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs 7.15. I've read the verse to you many times. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. According to verse 8, Paul writes, that's the same thing as slanderously saying, let us do evil that good may come whose our damnation is just. Now, God is a just God. Those who are guilty, their damnation is just. Is God unrighteous if He takes vengeance? Is God unfair if He condemns us? God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. God has not in any way changed His mind or His purpose. He can't and remain God. He can't and remain just. Will God excuse men and women's unbelief who uh, in Christ? He, well, He's the only means of uh, redemption. He's the only way that we can be saved. If God changed His mind and excused our sin, then He cannot be trusted. And He's not God. And if I can change the purpose of God by not believing Him, then in essence, I am God. That's, this is a serious accusation against God and in no way true. Even though God is just in condemning the unbeliever, He's also just in not condemning those who are innocent. And we can only be innocent one way. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Now, Romans chapter 11. Here in verse 1, Paul says, I say then, hath God cast away His people? Now by nature, none of us believe. God's got to intervene. He must intervene and cause us to believe. Isn't that right? God must give us grace and faith in Christ. And when He does, we become His people. So the question of the hour, every hour for that matter, is has God cast away His people? And what Paul is asking here is, will all the Jews be lost? Paul writes, God forbid, for I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not lost. I trust and believe in God only because He intervened. You remember Saul, who was Paul, and he, well, he held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. He drugged men and women out of their homes and persecuted them for serving Christ. But now, he's a believer. 
I'm an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of ben Benjamin. And if you remember from past studies, Romans chapter 10, Paul had shown us that the Gentiles were to come into God's favor and that the Jews would be cast off. But this rejection of the Jews was not total rejection, but partial. God didn't cast off all of Israel. God didn't condemn all of them. Some of them believed in and on Christ. And the proof is found here. Paul said, I'm, I'm an Israelite. Even though he was of Jewish descent, by God's grace, he believed and he wasn't cast off. And it's the same with all of us, Jew or Gentile alike. If we believe on Christ, trust in Him, what He's done for us, we won't be cast off. Has God cast away His people? Absolutely not. God makes it very clear though who the people of God are. It's not the physical seed of Abraham that's promised the blessing. Um, look at uh, uh, look look back at Romans chapter nine with me, verse four. Paul asks, "Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises?" Whose are the fathers and of whom are concerning the flesh Christ came, whose overall God bless forever. Amen. And not as though the word of God had taken non-effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. It's not the physical seed, but a spiritual seed that this blessing was given to. Salvation doesn't come by being related genetically to Abraham. If that was the cause, then Ishmael and Esau would have had as much right to salvation as anyone else. But as believers, we're the spiritual seed for one reason only. Isaiah told us, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Left to ourselves, we would forever be lost and condemned. So we see that this blessing of life eternal is not going to come to Abraham's physical seed, but to his spiritual seed. Now, back in Romans chapter 11, verse 5, Paul clarifies, and he says this, Even so then, at this present time, in the day which Paul lived, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. I'll title that this message that the election according to the election of grace. Even though the Jews in general had rejected Christ, even though they crucified and killed the Lord Jesus, even though they persecuted His apostles and disciples, even though they blasphemed the gospel, God yet reserved some of them for Himself. They're, they're a remnant. But they're a remnant according to the election of grace. And it's still the same today. 
God has a remnant of people, Jew or Gentile, that He has reserved to Himself. And He chose them to believe on Christ before the foundation of the world and they will be saved. Every one of them. Every single one of them. How are these chosen sinners saved? Well, Paul told us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not because of of the physical seed of Abraham, not because of anything that you did. It's by grace and grace alone. And God elected, God chose you to have that grace before time ever was. Now hear me out on this. Don't throw anything at me just yet. We're not saved because we believe. We believe because God gave us light and life. Life comes before faith. And we're not condemned because we don't believe. We're born condemned because of our sin. And men don't believe because they are condemned and lost. That's why Paul said here in verse 5 that there's a remnant. You know what a remnant is. And they're a remnant according to the election of grace. I remember a time back in my bachelor days that... um, I, I got I got an apartment and uh, I, I needed some flooring. Well, the first place I went was to the remnant section because I couldn't afford you know wall to wall carpet. I had to find something that fit the space that I had, even if it was short of fitting. Just a remnant, just a small part of the whole. Um, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. God saved some, not all according to His good pleasure, according to the election of His grace. God's grace to sinners is an election. Grace is given by God's choosing. That's what Paul's saying in verse 6. If salvation is by grace, then it's no more works. And If grace comes by works, then grace is not grace. But if salvation be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, or else, or if not, work is no more work. In other words, salvation is not a cooperative effort between men and God. Salvation is of the Lord. We don't add our work to the finished work of Christ. If we do, salvation is by works and not of grace. And that's why it's not so. Paul says in verse 7, What then? Israel, God's chosen people, hath not obtained, they haven't acquired, earned, or achieved, or purchased that which He seeketh for, but the election, God's choosing of sinners and giving them grace before the world began, hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. Who blinded them? God did. That word blinded in my marginal Bible means hardened. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's God that blinds. It's God that hardens. No man or woman by nature nature likes to hear that. But a believer loves it. Why? Because there's nothing they can do to be saved. And because of that, there's nothing they can do to be lost. Now do we continue in sin that grace may abound? Again, Paul said, God forbid. 
The one thing that a believer hates more than anything else in this world is their sin. Their salvation lies completely, completely on Christ's finished work. So if you don't believe on Christ, your unbelief doesn't make God's faithfulness ineffective. It, it actually proves God's faithfulness to those that He chose and gave grace. And let me say this. Election is not simply a doctrine that Calvinists believe. Oh, you're one of those Calvinists. No, I'm one of those believers. And I know that God chose me and called me and saved me by His grace before the world ever was. Jacob and Esau, twin boys, never been born. According to election, before they've done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, by election, by God's choosing, they believe. Election is God being God. And every believer believes it. It's God having mercy on whom He will. It's God having compassion on whom He will. It's God giving grace to those that He chose. And it's God blinding and hardening whom He will. You and I cannot make God's grace effectual or ineffective. And the question always is, well, is that fair? God doesn't have to be fair. Everything that God does is right. He doesn't do something because it's right. It's right because He does it. It's right because He's sovereign. What a sovereign God does is always right. Teresa and I recently painted the brick on our house white. We painted the trim black. And many of our neighbors have told us that they like it. And I'm sure that there are some of our neighbors that don't. But you know, no one has came up to us and told us that they didn't think it was fair to our house. Why? Because it's my house and it's Teresa's house. And we can do what we will with what belongs to us. How even more so is that true with God? We determined to paint it white with black trim. And God alone determines whom He makes white and whom He, and he determines who He leaves in their blackness. It doesn't have anything to do with being fair. It has everything to do with God's election of grace. God's choosing to whom He'll be merciful and compassionate to and to whom He'll harden. So we see what the problem is. It's still the, the problem today. What's the problem? Well, now look at chapter 10 of Romans. Verse 3. Here's, here's the problem. Men and women are ignorant of God's righteousness. And what are they doing? They're going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted unto the righteousness of God in Christ. Rather than coming to God empty-handed, wanting to receive righteousness through Christ, they build their own little tower of, of, of Babel by establishing a righteousness of their own. You ask people if they think they're going to heaven, and they'll tell you yes. And... If you ask them why they think they're going, you'll hear something like this. Well, I never cheated on my wife. Never cheated on my husband. I've never been arrested. 
For the most part, I treat people good. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good father. I'm a good mother. So on and so forth. And layer upon layer upon layer, they're attempting to build their tower up to heaven. I did the same thing. But God, according to His election of grace and by His mercy toward this sinner, He knocked down my self-made tower. Has God knocked down your tower? Your tower of worldly works? Look at uh, verse 12 here in Romans 10. For there is no difference between the Jew and Gentile, or Jew and the Greek. They're all sinners. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's God's ordained means. And how shall they preach? Except they be sin. There's a lot of people preaching today that grandma sinned and mom and daddy sinned and that sent them themselves, but God didn't send them. How shall they preach except they be sent of God? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And then Paul concludes this to some degree by saying, So then, faith, believing, it comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? Well, of course they knew. They just didn't believe. Now, many know the true gospel that don't believe it. They've heard the gospel, but they don't believe it. I know folks, I look out this morning, I, know, I, I see where people used to sit and they came faithfully for years and they stopped coming. That's what that's talking about. They, they believe the doctrines of the gospel, the doctrines of grace as we call them, the five points of Calvinism. I've said this many times, there's going to be a lot of Calvinists in hell. The remainder of the verse tells us what God did concerning this. He says, First Moses saith, I'll provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. That's speaking of the Gentiles whom the Jews hated. And then not only that, in verse 20, he adds, but Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found to them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. That's grace. That is grace. Who are these that Paul speaks of? He's speaking of Gentiles just like us. That's what we are, Gentiles. I don't know of anyone here this morning that's a natural Jew by physical seed, were Gentiles. That's who God turned His, His mercy and grace to. Gentiles who weren't seeking Him. The Gentiles who were not seeking God found Him. <laughs> but what about Israel? Verse 21, But to Israel He saith, 
All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The Gentiles are finding God whom they did not seek. And Israel, is God is stretching out His arm to Israel and they refuse to come. It's the same today. It's the same today. So does every single Israelite without exception refuse to come? Paul said no. He said, I'm, I'm the proof of that. I'm an Israelite. I came and I believed in Christ alone. So are you getting the picture here? God saves whom He wills. There's no difference in Jew and Gentile, but the difference that God makes. Who maketh thee to differ from another? God does. What do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. God gave it all to us. If, if you received it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? We've got a lot of faith, a lot of folks started to say fake folks, but call it, call it what it is. We've got a lot of folks claiming to have done something to be saved, but they, they haven't. All we've done is sin. We did the sin and God did the saving. And if we're lost, we're, it's our own fault. God Has God cast away His people? No. Those that don't come to Christ never were His people. Did you hear me? I don't care how many times you walk to the front, how many times you get baptized. I don't I care how many churches you've joined. Yeah, those that don't come to Christ here in the heart have never were His people. Our unbelief belongs to us. If we're saved, it's God's doing. Now, back in Romans chapter 11, verse 2, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. That word what means know. Know ye not what the Scripture saith of Elijah? How He maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed Thy prophets and they've dig down mine altars, and I'm left alone, and now they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? God said, I've reserved, I chose, I elected to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to the image of Babel. Now here Paul goes back to Old Testament history to show that all Israel had a faithful remnant within it. Within Israel, there was true Israel. There were some in those two million people that left out of Egypt that were the physical seed of Abraham that were the spiritual seed of Abraham. There's always been a remnant. There was a small portion of the overall nation who constituted God's real people. Small portion of the whole. Yes, just a remnant. Now, in verses 2-4, through four, Paul tells us here the story of Elijah and his showdown with the prophets of Baal. You remember that? It's in 1 Kings. There were 450 prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of the grove. And Elijah challenged them to a face-off. And Elijah said, let's each of us call on our God and see who sends fire down from heaven. Let's see who God really is. And you know what? It was 850 against one, but Elijah was the favorite. You know why he was the favorite? 
because he was on God's side. Or, or more importantly, God was on His side. Have you ever thought about what this showdown was all about? It was really about rain. The heavens had been sealed up for three and a half years at the word of Elijah. And Baal was believed by the Moabites to be the rain god. But we know who the real rain god is. This was about who God really is. The prophets of Baal prayed unto their uh, prayed unto him, they prayed unto Baal. Elijah prayed, prayed unto Jehovah. And after a day of jumping up and down on the altar, crying and moaning and even cutting themselves, the Moabite rain god didn't show up. A false god never shows up. Elijah begins to mock their rain god. Maybe you're God's hard of hearing. I, I, I know what it is. He's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe you need to cry a little louder. So they did. But he didn't show up. False gods never show up. So Elijah prays to the, the Lord to send the fire uh, down to accept his sacrifice. And three different times, he has... Um, his servants or whoever they were dig a trench and pour water around the altar making it near impossible for the fire to consume the offering. But nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He can do anything. He can do everything. I love to say that because it's so true. And the fire of God fell and it consumed the burnt sacrifice and it consumed the wood and it consumed the stones and the dust and the fire licked up the water that was in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, what did they do? They fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, He's God. And Elijah said, take the prophets of Baal down by the river and he slew them there. What a picture this is of God accepting the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. After this, Elijah told Ahab, he said, get thee up and eat and drink because I hear rain in the distance. But there was no rain. Elijah then told King Ahab, he said, go to the sea and check it again. And Ahab came back and said, not a cloud in the sky. He said, well, go check it again and check it up to seven times, seven being the number of completion. And the seventh time, the Scripture says, there was a little cloud out over the sea uh, like a man's hand. Just a little old cloud like a man's hand. Very little. And Elijah told Ahab, he said, you better get your chariot and get off this mountain because it's fixing to pour down. And the heaven became black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. He's the God of rain. 
and everything. Okay, we fast forward a day later and um, Jezebel heard all that Elijah had done. She heard how he had killed all her prophets and so she sends a messenger to Elijah saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you just like you killed my prophets. And the Scriptures say that Elijah went for his life. As folks say, Elijah hightails it out of Dodge. And uh, a whole day's journey. And when he could run no further, he sits down under a juniper tree and he, his request to God is that he might die. Lord, just go on and kill me. Just go on and kill me. Now I've always heard and even thought myself that Elijah fled because he was afraid of Jezebel. I, I don't know. I don't believe that anymore. I, I think I don't think it was fear that caused him to flee. Personally, I think it was the fact that he was disillusioned. I think he was let down. I think he was cast down. I think he was discouraged. Do you ever get that way? Even believers get that way, don't they? I do, and so do you. Elijah was a man. That's what men often do. They get disappointed in something or someone. By nature, we have a tendency to look on the negative. And we, like Elijah, say, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. God said, no, no, no. I have reserved, I've chosen, I've elected unto myself many more than you. Elijah thought what had transpired uh, the previous day would bring a great awakening among his people. He, Elijah had seen the fire of God fall. He had been a part of the false prophets put away. He had seen the people of God fall down on their knees and say, God is God. Your God is God. He's my God. He's the only true God. He had experienced the reign of God fall after a three and a half year famine. So the, obviously the only thing left was a great revival. Yet the very next day, it was business as usual. There was no change, no revival, and he sits under this juniper tree and he says, God, does anyone really care? Verse 3 again, they've killed your prophets. They've destroyed your altars. Besides you, I'm the only one that really cares. I, and I'm left alone and now they seek my life. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Boy, we're good at pity parties, aren't we? Verse 4, But what saith the answer of God unto him? Had the unbelief of Israel made the faithfulness of God without effect? God forbid! Never! God said, I have reserved to Myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I'm still on the throne, God says. I'm still in charge. I am. I'm God. I do what I please in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no man can stay My hand. No man can say unto me, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Whatever I want to do. I do what I will in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deep places. That means even hell. Even hell is under God's dominion. And I'm, He says, I'm still calling the shots. I have reserved to myself 7,000 like you. 
In 1 Kings 19, God said, you go and you anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. I still have work for you to do. You go and you tell, and you anoint Jehu to be the next king of Israel. And you go and you anoint Elijah to be the next prophet to take your place. Get up and do what I tell you to do. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. We call it the election of grace. Has God cast away His people? No. No. He's still showing mercy to whom He'll show mercy. Verse 5, Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. I take Paul's words in closing to be my own. God has not cast away His people. And even so, at this present time, God has reserved to Himself a remnant. Just a small part of the whole according to the election of grace. And again, verse 6, And if by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Dear sinner, it's either by grace or it's by works. It can't be both. It's one or the other. Verse 7, What then? This is the final word concerning salvation. Israel, true Israel, hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, that simply means there's no justification by the law. You can't keep the law in order to be saved. The law requires you to be to keep it completely and to keep it perfectly. And you can't do it, and neither can I. So it's it, we don't we, we, we don't obtain what we seek for, but but the election, God's electing and choosing hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. Verse 8, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in this day. Some believe, some don't. Those that believe, God enabled them to believe. Those who don't believe, God lets them have their own way. Lord, don't give me my way. Don't give me my way. Do you believe in the Son of God? If you do, it's according to the election of grace. And what marvelous grace it is as we've endeavored to sing about this morning.